Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew, and I will be joined by my good friend Matt this week. And you know what? Something isn't right here. Matt, you shouldn't be here, perhaps. Uh, but you're here anyway, so how are you doing? Where am I supposed to be? Dead? <laughs> In the other timeline? The other RTR timeline? Unfortunately, uh, not only are you dead in the other timeline, but you also died a senseless death. You were killed by a uh, black tar monster, I think. Oh, that's not fun. It's, uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, that's, uh, that's the way that the cookie crumbles, as it were. Um, and yeah, we are looking at uh, yesterday's Enterprise. This is probably, and I haven't actually gone through, but this is probably the most famous or most beloved episode that we've done here on RTR. Would you agree or disagree? Certainly the most beloved by me. It's one of my favorite episodes, period. So I would say that, uh, I would say it's probably the best episode we've done so far, yes. Yeah, so I mean, as is typically the case, it is usually a little bit of a of a gush fest and a little bit of uh, us kind of... Uh, just sitting back and getting to say some positive things for a change. So, I mean, that's always nice. And uh, as kind of a, uh, a nice positive for me personally is that I feel like I actually did a pretty good job on the recall this week, which I think everybody would have assumed because it's one of the most famous episodes of Star Trek ever. So why don't you go back to uh, my recall from uh, last episode and can you please give me a score out of five Enterprise C's? Uh, I'm not going to waste a lot of time going through the minutiae. I mean, you knew this episode. You got pretty much every main part of the story. You got a whole bunch of, like, little things, like Guinan was in it, and the Enterprise C came through a rift. So I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time. You knew this one. You nailed this one. It was like a, you know, batting practice lob ball to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and you did not miss it. So uh, five Enterprise Cs out of five, you uh, definitely got this one. Uh, I mean, if... If I could give you a six, I would maybe even give you a six because you got a lot. So, well done. Thank you, sir. It definitely feels uh, it definitely feels good to just kind of hit that sweet spot. I think everybody kind of using a sports analogy, whether it's golf or baseball, when you hit that sweet spot, when you get that episode that you just know inside and out. When you get the sound. And you get that sound, That yeah. sweet sound, That yes. little pinging sound or that little wooden knocking sound. Yeah, if you haven't seen this, I don't know what you're doing. You need to probably run as fast as you can to uh, your DVD collection or your VHS collection and dust this one off. But if you haven't seen it in a while, this, of course, is from season three. It's episode number 15. It's from back in February 19th, 1990. Um, the guest stars are Denise Crosby as Tashiar. You've got Christopher McDonald as Richard Castillo. Trisha O'Neill as Rachel Garrett, and a special guest star, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. This one was written by Trent Ganino and Eric Stilwell, although there were many rewrites by people like Ronald E. Moore and co., and it was directed by David Carson. Uh, the synopsis goes as follows. 
the Enterprise D is traveling on its merry way when it comes across an unusual anomaly. It seems hard to scan, and it may be some sort of temporal rift. Suddenly, there's a change that occurs, and all is different on the bridge. There's new uniforms, belts, and furniture rearrangement. Also, Weshley is now an ensign, and Tasha Yar is back. A ship emerges from the rift, and dun-dun-dun, it's the Enterprise C, thought to be lost some 20 years ago. In this new timeline, the Federation is in a terrible war with the Klingons and at the brink of surrender, and only the all-wise Guinan knows that something is amiss. She tells Picard to send that ship back and right the timeline. With nothing left to lose, Picard decides to do it, and Yar decides to go with him, either for love or because she realizes that her other self died senselessly and wants to make a difference. When the Enterprise goes back through the rift, the timeline resets, and all is well. All right, Matt. Now, this is one of the most famous episodes of Star Trek ever. And as such, there is so much background and uh, developmental stuff here. I, I don't know that we really want to dive too deeply into it because we can get into the minutia. But there is a, a couple of interesting things here. Um, the most notable is that the original idea um, and the one that was in the teleplay was basically an enterprise from the past. Uh, came in through the future, but the original Enterprise D stayed the same. It was mostly about how the Enterprise D was going to help them get back to their own timeline. And then essentially, you know, all the heavy hitters, you know, Iris, Stephen Bear, Moore, Manning, Bammer, they rushed in and they kind of, I guess, saw the potential here and uh, were able to to tweak it and change it and I guess, get what we have now. Now, um, a lot of people didn't think that this was going to work. And uh, a lot of the set design people and the, the crew and cast in general were kind of scratching their heads being like, I don't know, this kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Off they go. And of course, it, it, it ended up being a huge success. Is this the kind of thing where they just lucked into a really cool story and just the fact that it's just so different and and such an outlier from the other episodes that it really stands out? Or do you think that this is a very tightly written, well thought out, you know, kind of perfect episode? I think one part of that accidentally turned into the other part of it. It was really two, two different stories that they decided to kind of mash together. And they were quite different. I mean, there was one where you mentioned the Enterprise C comes through or an old Enterprise comes into their time. And then the other one was where it was basically like a, almost like a uh, city on the edge of forever thing where Tasha Yar was brought back. And then they combined the two and then it sort of went through a bunch of different iterations and ended up with what we got. And so I think it was kind of one of those things where they sort of accidentally stumbled on a piece of gold. And I mean, it's not beloved by everybody because uh, one of the interesting things that I read in the preamble here is that Jonathan Franks, uh, apparently at conventions and stuff like that, has, has come out and said numerous times, like, I don't get it. You know, he's watched the episode. He... he, he you know, think certain aspects of it are cool, but he, he doesn't really understand what's going on, what's happening, and, and this the, the story as a whole in terms of how, I guess, the the time travel worked and, and, and the way that the Enterprise C going through the riff and then showing up later has, like, a major effect. That is something that I had never really thought about. It's one of those things where when an episode is so good, 
you, you can sometimes maybe just gloss over or not care about it. What are your thoughts on the people that maybe say that the science here or maybe the explanation of how the Enterprise-C changed the course of the future at the same time that it went through the portal and the time change? Like, is this kind of something where it's just like, you know what, just sit back and enjoy it. It's sci-fi jibber-jabber. Or is it something where, you know, th this could have been explained better? I've always thought that one of the great parts about this episode is that it is easy to follow and it is easy to figure out and the time travel isn't really that confusing. I always thought it was very straightforward and very easy to understand. And when I read that Jonathan Frakes didn't, doesn't get it, I was very surprised by that because I, even as like a young kid, I always, I never really had a hard time figuring out what was going on. So I don't know where that comes from. I don't know how you make it simpler. I mean, I agree with you, but on the same token, there is a lot of very heavy dialogue. Um, a lot of the explanation of things and as well, some of the the transitional stuff, you, you really have to listen carefully. Um, I think there's a section even where they explain that like, it must have been all of the Warbirds weapons kind of like discharging in one location where like the space was like weak or something. And that's what opened up the temporal anomaly, which sent the Enterprise 3C through. Um, little stuff like that. And I mean, obviously, people like us have probably watched this episode more than any other episode. We pick up on all those like little things, maybe as like a first time viewer, I could maybe see it a little bit. And so... That I, I, I kind of get. I think that's why the, people like this episode is because it's very smartly done, smartly written. And also it's kind of like you have to be paying attention to get what's happening. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Would you agree with that? Paying attention certainly helps. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, when I was younger, you don't really care. Like, I don't know, maybe it's a little different for if you're older. But when I was a kid and I would watch this, I didn't care how the rift formed. And I, that whole scene where they explain that it was, you know, the weapons fire, you know, the energy of the weapons fire created this, this temporal rift. Like when I'm a kid, I don't care about that stuff. I don't, you know, and even now it's like, well, does it really matter how it formed? Not really. It's there. I, I mean, it does pay it help to pay attention because I think you know, sort of leading into one of the other things we'll talk about here is that this was like actually a pretty rushed job writing this final, the final version of the script. It's actually really well thought out, or at least I thought it was. Yeah, I think so. I think it's one of those things where they either got super lucky with how it all kind of came together, or it was just like just pure genius, one of the two. But um, regardless, I, I just love the way that everything came together here. And yeah, it's just such an outlier. It's just such a different episode. Like, they've done a million time travel episodes. There's been a million, uh, you know, different universes or alternate timeline kind of things. But this one just really stands out. And I guess we'd probably have to jump into the episode to get to the heart of that. Um, just really quickly from a production so standpoint, this is the only episode of uh, Star Trek where on screen we see two different ships named Enterprise, which is really cool. Um, this is Denise Crosby's favorite episode, which is not surprising. Uh, also, uh, we'll talk about the sets actually as they kind of come about. There's so much stuff here with the, the things that they change with the, the sets and the uniforms and stuff. So um, we will talk about that and the production of that stuff, but maybe we'll just kind of do it as we go. Just that a lot of uh, big 
writing uh, folks had their hands in this. I mean, uh, you mentioned that Iris Stephen Bear, Ronald D. Moore, Manning, and Hans Beinler, they all were part of it. Maybe that's why it turned out so well, because, I mean, those guys all uh, have uh, pretty pretty impressive writing uh, resumes uh, at the time and since. Yes, that is very true. And, I mean, uh, as big lovers of, uh, of Deep Space Nine, you know, a lot of those guys ended up making the, uh, the transition then over to there. So I guess it's not... Uh, I guess it's not surprising that we ended up really kind of loving this episode as well. I am salivating at the idea of uh, breaking this episode down right off the hop. We get this kind of, uh, we've seen this before. Star Trek loves doing this actually, where you get kind of a light beginning part so that the rest of the episode, which is very heavy, kind of offsets. They do love to kind of start with a bit of a funny scene for more serious episodes. Um, And of course, this is our first instance of Prune Juice and Mr. Worf, uh, a warrior's drink. Uh, And of course, Guinan trying to set up Worf with uh, humans that are on the ship. And of course, that would just be silly because they would never be able to stand up to the the manhood of Lieutenant Worf, which is ironic because he ends up marrying Jedzia Dax, which, you know, she's not a human, but she is a humanoid. So I guess he he's a little bit uh, young and boisterous in, in, during this time. Did you think this is funny? Did you think that Worf was maybe acting slightly strange when you compare him to the later Worfs? The thing that stuck out to me when I watched this again was that, yeah, this is where the whole prune juice thing starts and it goes, continues on. Like, I, I distinctly remember in... Deep Space Nine, Worf strolling into the Defiant Mess Hall and ordering, uh, going to the Replicator and asking for prune juice, extra large. It's always extra large. He just loves the prune juice. Yes, I love the prune juice thing. And I do love, too, that he just kind of has the confidence and the the swagger to be like, yep, I'm drinking I'm drinking prune juice, and uh, what are you going to say about it? Probably nothing, because... He'll beat the snot out of you. Exactly. He's probably tougher than most, so... Yeah, I, I loved it, and uh, you know what? What a great episode to, to to kind of first introduce it, right? Because, you know, if it was just some random whatever episode, that, that'd be fine. That'd be great. But the fact that it's, it's, it's this one just is kind of an added nice touch, I thought, anyway. Yeah, it was a little bit of a light intro and i mean it, it pretty much had to be Worf because we don't really see him in the other timeline so it made it was kind of an interesting little interesting choice to use like the one klingon on the ship that you're not going to see the rest of the episode because he's on the other side of the war yeah it was good it was a cool little way to start i did not even think of that what a great point i've seen this episode a lot but you're right he wouldn't even be, on, and he isn't on the Enterprise in the alternative timeline because he's a Klingon and they're at war. I never noticed that before. Excellent note. Um, this is also, yeah, a great way to get him into the episode, right? Because uh, he wouldn't be in it otherwise, and so he gets the scene here and, and off he goes. Yeah, I never thought of that before. A good one. The other thing is, is this the first instance of the Klingons being you know, so violent when it comes to their sexual habits that, uh, you know, nobody is is going to be able to uh, stand it unless they are a Klingon themselves, or is this something that they had even back in the original series? I couldn't really remember. I think it's sort of alluded to when Worf is, like, with Kalar a little bit, that there's, like, violence involved, but it's not, like, outright 
Like, he's not like, I hope you, because she was half human, and it wasn't like Worf's like, geez, I hope you, uh, I hope you will survive uh, when we, uh, you know, go to bed later on. No, it wasn't like outright stated, but it was sort of implied, I think, that it's not always a fun experience, unless you're a Klingon. Okay, and then that is pretty much the 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 last of that section, right? Um, that is the the only part that's kind of not really tied into the the rest of, of the episode, which of course is all about the Enterprise C. So Worf gets called to the bridge, which I always wondered, like, do they call every single person individually? Uh, it's like Riker phones Worf, but if somebody else wasn't on there, do you think like Picard would phone them, or is that like the number one's? job to phone everybody it's always kind of one of those things where it's like we're only ever seeing the person that is there but then if you're on the bridge i've never seen them phone more than one person i don't know that's a that's an interesting uh question they'll have to do a lower decks episode about it exactly i was wondering if maybe one of the things was was that they sometimes do say all senior staff come to the bridge but maybe if it's just one person uh that's away they just call them individually could be he gets called to the he gets called to the bridge, and of course there is you know th- th- this anomaly, this big green swirl that is out in space, and this has to be one of the most legendary teasers of all time. I mean, I I don't know if you have others that you prefer better or others that you think uh, work better, but I mean this just as an idea alone is is all time, isn't it? I think the fact that they do the switch in the teaser really like because they don't waste any time. They could easily have pushed it back, but they were like, no, let's just let's just get right into it right away. And yeah, you mentioned there's the anomaly and like Data's having trouble scanning it. And they're like, what is this whole thing? And then the ship comes through and like, you know, everything changes. You know, it's it's I think because they get to it so quickly, they don't really screw around much with like, well, what is this anomaly and what what's going on here? They just they just jump right into it. And I mean, this is probably as good a time as any. There is enough of a difference. Right. So we get new uniforms. We get belts. The the layout of the ship is different. We also get basically. Uh, what else do we get in that first kind of sh- the first scene we get? Well, the lighting on the bridge is like completely different. I, I think that's the one that for me anyway, that you notice right away because it's so dark and there's like that that blue light rather than the nice bright, you know, regular lighting. That was the one that like sort of popped out and hit me right away. Yes. And we also get, I guess, the biggest reveal here is that Tasha Yar is back on the bridge in the uh, you know in the the role of uh, purity officer, we also see that Wesley is an ensign. Like there's a lot of stuff in a very short period of time, um, but also j- kind of just enough that it's kind of we see it, like all these things really quickly, and then it's credits. So I mean, is there a better way of doing it than that? I mean, talk about a teaser. You just see all these changes, and then you're having to sit through credits, and I guess a commercial back in the uh, time when this was released. I I don't know that you could do this any better, could you? Well, and the other thing that they leave us with is that it's, you know, the the thing that comes through the anomaly is the previous Enterprise. What? That's that's a pretty big, you know, bombshell to leave right before you you cut to credits. Like, that's pretty, uh, that's that's like 
pretty big thing to leave with. And I will say that I've seen this a million times, and I I I love the episode and everything. When they the way that that is done, so when T- Tasha says, "Oh, I'm getting the I'm getting the reading in here," it looks like it's you know one seven zero five Enterprise C. It's like that. Did that give you like chills seeing that, or have you seen it too many times to? Uh... To, to have that kind of effect on you. I've seen it far too many times to get chills anymore. But uh, yeah, when she's reading off the registry, it's like, what? That's that's a pretty big, yeah, that's, that's a pretty big one. I thought that it was a pretty cool, like I hadn't seen this one in a while. And when, when they do, I knew it was coming, but I did get that like, I don't know. The way that it was done is just, is perfect. And I think I even screwed up. I believe she says, she calls out the n- the number, right? So she goes 1701C. And then they and then they all like sort of look back with this look of bewilderment on her face and she's like USS Enterprise. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's just I don't know. I mean, I don't know that you could do it better than they did it and I, and I just yeah, I could gush all day about it. Uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts on the Enterprise C? I mean, we don't get a whole lot of it and I feel like it's one of those things where they had to rush this. They had to, to do some of this a little bit on the quick. But what are your thoughts on the Enterprise C? And do you think that it fits well with the Enterprise B from the movies, the Enterprise D that we have now? Yeah, I, I thought that the design was pretty cool. I, I actually read that they like designed this like super fast and had to build it super fast. Like they didn't really have a lot of time. And I think it it sort of fits with the progression pretty well. And I actually liked the way that they had the, the the battle damage was like pretty evident from the first, really that first sort of close up look of it when the, the you first come back from the credits, like like you could tell that that ship had just been beaten to hell and back. And I actually read that instead of like painting it on, they actually like shot fireworks and like other inflammatory objects onto it. In, to, really? in order to get all that like scorching and and whatnot, rather than just painting it on, which I thought was pretty oh, cool. neat. Yeah, there's actually a photo of it if you um if you dig deep enough on the internet. There's actually a photo of it with like all these like fireworks being shot up onto it. It's pretty funny actually. Yeah. <laughs> so go go take a gander for that. Go go dig around for that one. Yeah, I should try to find that. I feel like. Um, one of the things that I really liked about it was just the fact that it's kind of a little bit more like the Enterprise B, if that makes sense. Like it kind of has that like short body and the, and the back part of it is, is a little bit B-like, if that makes sense. Um, and because we never really got the B, I, I kind of prefer that it wasn't just like an Enterprise D that they glued some crap to and, and like kind of did it. it. It definitely felt like a, a natural transition between the B from the movie and the D that we obviously love from the show. And so that was a, um, a very nice added twist. And I thought that, I thought that the design was really great and they did a good job of, of showing it enough, but not overdoing it to the point where you're going to be like starting to look around and, and pick holes in it and stuff. Um, so, so that part of it was really good as well. They, they look, you're right. You get enough looks at it to sort of get a good feel for what the ship is and what it looks like, but they don't, they don't, it's not like every five seconds they're like, oh, look at this cool ship we built. Right. And I feel like that is definitely the way to, to do it. That is the way to play it because, you know, there, there are lots of fans out there who 
you know, they love the ships and they go over it with, you know, fine tooth combs. And the way that they do this really um, kind of keeps them happy and satiated, but also not give them enough time to, to really kind of to gripe into it. But um, I mean, that's just one of the many little details here. Um, there are so many. I, I don't know that we can really get to them all. But I mean, like, what are some of your favorites? One of the things, a couple that I saw was there was like the condition yellow was slightly different. Some of the, the uh, some of the others, what were, what were some of your favorites? Well, right off the bat, the military log and uh, Picard referring to the Enterprise as a battleship. Battleship, yep. In the log, that was pretty awesome. I thought the bridge looked amazing. I thought the bridge looked, looked just, I already mentioned the lighting, but like, even little things like getting rid of Riker and Troy's chairs and having Riker just like standing at the back, the extra stations on each each side, it just and there were some little subtle things like there was like um a, a, there was like this I guess trim kind of on the the bridge that like in the regular universe it sort of looked kind of decorative and in that it looked purely utilitarian like it was it, it, there were just so many small little things on the bridge that looked so uh looked so cool and really gave you the sense that yeah these guys are at war and this is a military ship not a you know pleasure craft and the other one that always 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 jumps out at me is there's that one scene in the in the conference room there's like this giant like strategy map in the sort of in the background. That's the one that that's another one that always like kind of sticks with me. Yeah, and I I was kind of a little I was having a little bit of hard time following it because the uh, Picard's ready room also has the like Klingon war maps, um, and then the conference room wasn't as much of a conference room as it was almost like a debriefing room. Like it usually everybody is stationed around that uh, conference table and Picard would be at the end. Um, but in this situation, it's almost like the captain was like at the front and he almost had like the, the maps and the stuff more like a, like a battle general kind of thing. Wasn't there like a little lectern too? Like, they, like you would have a per, like a professor and you Yeah. Yeah. That was. Yeah. I thought that, uh, yeah, I thought that all the little details were great and I feel like, I mean, you could almost do a whole podcast going through and and going through it. This is such an episode for the fans. You know, like we, we talk about fan service in 2021 and how, you know, they're constantly trying to do stuff for fans. This is how you do a fan service episode. I don't know that a yokel local or your girlfriend or boyfriend who's not really a big fan could sit down and really kind of get a lot out of this as much as somebody like you or I who are obviously spending a lot of our life and time watching Star Trek. Uh, are, would you concur with that uh, thought process? This would definitely be a difficult one to follow if, you know, if you're anything less than a casual fan. And even a casual fan might have a hard time with it because if they don't sort of fully grasp the change that the timeline has changed, they'll be like, well, why does the bridge look different? And why does the uniforms look different? And they might not, you know, like that's, it's tough to follow. You'd have to start explaining to like, well, they're wearing the red ones because back in that time, it was like from the movie Kirk, which was, you know, I mean, it's like there's a whole thing. Right. And so what are, what are your thoughts of the of the Enterprise crew? We don't really see a lot of them. Uh, we obviously get the captain who, who's kind of like a bit dazed and, and just thinks that it was, you know, they just scraped by. And then we get the big reveal, too, of 
I don't. You probably thought the exact same thing as me. Shooter from uh, Happy Gilmore. Shooter McGavin, and that uh, he plays a character named Richard Castillo. Well, Shooter McGavin and the captain are really the only two we get. The rest of them are all dead. And there's a couple of people, like, maybe in the background, like, at one point. Like, they mentioned that there were, like, people, other people. We just never really see. Yeah, those are the only two really, like, characters, right? The rest are just background extras. Um, I I thought they were both very good. Captain Garrett was was good. Uh, she was this, you know, very headstrong kind of captain. And we see that in Sick Bay when she's, like, you know, half dead and the doctor's like nope you got to stay here another day and she's like nope too bad i'm going back to my ship you know even like her knee was all like or her leg was all like busted up and and i thought you know i thought castillo was you know a pretty decent character i I thought i read that what's the actor's name scott mcdonald i read that he's like an actual like a star trek fan so this must have been really thrilling for him i heard that they were both really big star trek fans ahead of time so they must have been pretty excited yeah yeah, no, I thought they were both pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I don't really have anything bad to say either. I, I thought that they both brought their A game, and, and the characters themselves are interesting too. It, it's, you know, they're, they're not in a very good spot because, I mean, I think that we're alluding to the fact that they were thinking they were probably going to explode or, or, or be killed, and now they've they've kind of got this respite only to find out that the temporal anomaly that they've gone through has put them into a, a future where there is this Klingon war and everything else. So it's really kind of like going from from bad to worse. And I mean, we've seen war in Star Trek, right? The Dominion War is probably the most famous, but um, we also have seen uh, wars or parts of wars in other sections. I, I have to admit that this is about as good as I think we've ever seen it, them, it done. And I mean, after going through the Klingon Federation War in Star Trek Discovery... And then seeing it here um, and just the way that characters talk and interact and the way that it's so different during a time of war versus a time of peace is just so beautifully done. And it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, You know, as much as I love Deep Space Nine, I I do think that sometimes, you know, they, they would... They would, they would kind of have to break away from it, right? Like, oh, we're going to just have this game of baseball now because, uh, you know, the Dominion is laying low for a while. It's, it's really hard to do, you know, to kind of keep up that level of tension, to keep up that level of um, suspense and, and just kind of worry and stuff. Oh, I love it. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, there's a lot of, like, little subtle things. Like, when you think about the characters, uh, I mean, Picard is, like, just that little bit, more authoritative um like i think about that scene where he has them all in his ready room and they're talking about sending the ship back and you think oh it's going to be one of those conference room scenes but it really isn't i mean they all voice their opinions and he's just like well i don't care what you think this is what we're doing like essentially (laughs) that's what he said i mean what was the line he's like this is this isn't uh this isn't a conference it's a briefing yeah it's not a conference it's a briefing like the, the 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 my mind is already made up and uh so that that was one little little subtle thing that i thought was very well done i thought patrick stewart was was very good at just just that little bit more sternness and authoritativeness as as a wartime captain versus uh you know normal captain picard just little things like that they just they there were so many little subtleties and nuances that they just nailed in this that i thought was very very good 
Yeah, did, did you also notice that he doesn't call Riker number one at any point in the episode? He always calls him commander, which just kind of goes to show that like the relationship is like maybe a little bit strained uh, during the, the wartime. And this is not really kind of like fun, fun times on the Enterprise. This is, you know, back to kind of the more the military roots. And I thought that like, yeah, just another example of like a really good little, a little interaction, you know? Oh yeah, there was tons of tension between Picard and Riker. Like there, there was, when they first discover that like the ship is like, you know, in shambles, Riker immediately is like, or, orders a bunch of, you know, repair crews and rescue teams. And Picard's like, well, now wait a minute. We can't do that. We might, you know, this, t- this ship doesn't belong here. And Riker's all like, no, we have to send help right away. They're in peril. And, and Picard's like, no, this is what we're going to do. Like, calm down, Riker, you know? And and that you see that throughout the episode, really. There's the scene in the in the in the ready room that I just mentioned where, you know, him and Riker clearly have a difference of opinion and, you know, Picard's not gonna take any crap. He's no, this is my decision, Riker. I don't care what you think. Take, just do what I tell you. And it is yeah, it's the the acting in this is just at kind of another level, right? Like the the way that it's done and just the subtlety here is is really really perfect. Just to kind of switch shift gears here. Obviously, the other uh, kind of big important piece here is that I mean, speaking of relationships, the relationship between Gaiden and Picard in this universe or in this timeline is obviously still strong, and we get. Uh, what I'm going to call kind of the first of the Gein and Picard scenes where, where she goes in with really nothing more than an intuition. And I love, love, love the way that he is so much more aggressive and so much more, he's so much more like abrupt. He's like, who, what people, when? Like, he's just like, he wants answers like here, right now in this moment, right? And she's mostly the same. I would say that the Guinan character is really the only one who doesn't change, maybe Data a little bit as well. But um, I, I love that she is kind of the same old, same old, and we're seeing Picard interact, but in that uh, in that different way. Well, it was very much like you said, you know, he wanted answers and he wanted them immediately. And he wasn't really, there was no cordiality to it. It was strictly like... You say the timeline's not right. Why? What's wrong with it? Why is it not right? What? What's? What? What differences are there? And there's no. Uh, I don't know what the word is. There's no banter involved. It was just tell me what I need to know. Yeah, I think that uh, this 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 whole thing is, is very interesting, and we don't yet know the state of the of the war uh, of the Federation of anything else. And so the fact that he is even kind of intrigued by this is definitely kind of a head scratcher at this point, right? We later find out like, oh, the Federation's in bad shape. But at this point of the, of the episode, when we're watching this, it, it's definitely, if, I mean, like I mentioned, right? If, if somebody were to come in and, and just be like, oh, I think you need to like do this and, and why when like how like what's your rationale what's your reasoning like uh i just don't know that there's really enough evidence here or there obviously isn't enough evidence but he seems open to it which i think was really a great great thing to do because it, then later on i think it kind of makes it pay off a bit better the other thing too is is like this is 
essentially round one between the Guinan and Picard debate. And I think that they gave us just enough. That would be kind of my thought process was that I was expecting the first time that I saw this, that she would go in and be like, this isn't right. And, and he would say, what are you talking about? Like, get out of here. You know, this is crazy talk. But I, I love now seeing it again, that there, there is just that little bit of a foreshadow, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's a little foreshadowing like, oh, he seems open to this. So either their relationship is still crazy strong or there's something more to it. Well, and later on in the episode, he when he's explaining all this to Captain Garrett and she's like, well, who's this Guinan? And he's like, well, she has this sort of intuitive sense that he's learned to trust, right? So, I mean, you kind of get a bit of an explanation as to why at the beginning he's, you know, she comes to him and says, this isn't right. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. Why he would put any stock into it. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it goes to show you that their relationship might not be as, uh, you know, friendly or, or, or cordial as it is in the, in the regular universe. But it, it goes to show you that, you know, they do have history, if nothing else. I find that this is a heavy episode. I, I somewhat disagree with uh, with what at the beginning you said, you know, ah, well, it's, it's easy to follow and, you know, it, it, it's pretty, pretty nicely done. I think that it's pretty heavy. Like some of the stuff here, um, just the fact that the Enterprise uh, C is kind of what inevitably led to the cause of the war. There's a lot of little things you could miss. I realize that it is something that, you know, if you don't really pick up on those things or if you don't really notice them it doesn't really change anything it doesn't really matter but um i did love that they went the extra mile to do it uh we also are told that starfleet has been reduced to half and that the enterprise c was negotiating a peace treaty at the time and I, i'm guessing that uh i was trying to figure this out because wasn't the klingons kind of brought in during the last episode of the original series and where would that have kind of fit in the timeline with where the enterprise c was i think when they said we were negotiating a peace treaty i think they meant the federation not the enterprise c specifically okay so the enterprise c must be kind of kicking around during the time when kirk and everybody are are on their kind of last voyage with the the old enterprise or not doesn't really make sense, though, does it? I think this is something that they kind of... Undiscovered Country hadn't even made yet when this episode was filmed. So I think it's something that they kind of did, you know, cobble together at the end where they say, like, okay, in the Undiscovered Country, they started the process, but it didn't actually finish until the Enterprise C sacrificed itself to defend that Klingon outpost, and that was maybe, like, the final sort of push... To get it done. I mean, I think that's kind of how the, it is has to work based on uh, what what we ended up with. That's sort of how I sort of reconcile it all in my head. Yeah, I, I, in terms of headcanon, I, I love that as, a, uh, as an explanation. And it would make sense. It's not like you just kind of end it and be like, okay, now everything is perfect. Off we go. Like, I almost sort of feel like maybe after the, the Star Trek six things were kind of lukewarm. Like, they weren't at each other's throats, but they maybe weren't best buddies, you know? And then after the Enterprise C sacrificed itself to defending that Klingon outpost, then, then that's sort of when the Klingons were like, hey, you know, these Federation guys, they're they're very honorable. They're, they might be our, our type of people after all. Yeah, I and you know what? That 
That perfectly works for me. And, and I mean, it does kind of make sense, right? If they hadn't come to the aid, then that could have been the thing that sours the relationship and, and sets the whole thing back, right? So I feel like um, that that's a great explanation of it, actually. Um, I think that this kind of really quickly summarizes where they're at. One thing that really struck me, so when Picard and Garrett are having that conversation about how the war is going, did you notice that Picard took that quick sort of look over his shoulder to hear if anyone was listening before he told her, like, just how grim yes. it was? That was brilliant. I don't know if that was, that was probably directing and probably it was, maybe was written in, I don't know. But that was just, like, that was brilliant. Like, it's like, no, we can't let the junior officers hear this because it'll ruin, ruin their morale. Yeah, just the fact that it was kind of, I mean, what did he say, six months? I think he said, like, you know, defeat's inevitable and within, like, six months we'll be forced to surrender. It was, it, it was bad. Like, it was bad. It was grim. It, yeah, it was about as possibly, as about as bad as it could possibly be. Which also then, I mean, if you think that's bad, the Enterprise C is even in a worse position because essentially the Enterprise C, after, after he, she is told that, I mean, if they stay in the current mold, right, the current timeline, then they're probably going to get destroyed or going to have to end up surrendering. If they go back in through the void, it's going to basically mean they're going to get destroyed because that was inevitable, basically. Data said they had no chance of survival. None. Right. So <laughs> uh, that's that's definitely the definition of being between a rock and a hard place. And uh, I mean, I guess they kind of go with the greater good move here, but yeah, so also good. Um, and just going back to that Picard Guinan, this is the, the classic, not good enough, not good enough, damn it. Um, he really wants something a little bit more to go off of. And I guess my, my question to you would be, do you have a friend or a person in, in your life that you would potentially trust enough to, uh, to make a decision or to make a call that would be this tough or like this dire i guess or is it kind of like that is uh not something you'd be willing to to do in, in any situation because to me i i mean this is this is a really hard thing to ask some some a group of people and it's really kind of lose lose if you think about it do i trust someone enough that if they told me everything i knew was wrong and and was supposed to be <laughs> different if, and i only have to do this one thing to put it right that'll like end up killing a couple hundred people i i can't think of anyone that i'd be like oh yeah yeah, sign, yeah, me, sign up. me up. <laughs> That's a huge leap of faith. It really is. And I guess, I mean, the other thing would be, what if you only had six months to live? Would you then care? I don't know. Maybe. And that's essentially the situation, right? It's, it's not going well. What, is, what does Picard really have to lose in this situation? Not much, apparently, because it seems like in a few months' time, it's, it's, gonna be, it's all going to be done and dusted anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of different because, yeah, he's in a dire situation and it's like, well, if I send these people back, this whole war isn't going to happen. So, like, I mean, the stakes are, like, significantly higher than if it's just you or me. <laughs> but I, I, do, I do like the moral quandary, the moral dilemma. I do love that, you know, this is a situation where, like, it's not an easy decision. And I think that it's kind of after this one particular that when he goes into the briefing room, he's like, yeah, we're going to send them back. Uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit already, but, you know, Riker and Dr. Crusher, they're not super in love with this idea. And he basically pulls the rank card and says, oh, I wasn't asking you guys. I'm telling you guys we're sending them back. And 
it is what it is. Um, I kind of love this version of Picard in a way. Uh, not that I would love to have him all the time or a series where, you know, he's maybe the main character, but just as like a one-off episode, man, does it, is he ever engaging? And uh, I, I love kind of just knowing that even the regular Picard has this gear that he can go to in a situation where it is uh, called for or where it's needed. It almost makes you wonder, like, would he act like this during the Dominion War in the regular timeline? You know, was he was he was he able to kind of have that extra level of authoritativeness when it was needed? And do we do you know? I mean, we don't really ever see any of the adventures of the Enterprise E during the Dominion War. But uh, it's interesting to kind of imagine, like, would he be like this in that situation? Maybe. Maybe, and I mean, I, I, I I'm sure there are books and, and comic books and stuff that are. Uh, that have all those questions and answers. But yeah, we never actually see the, you know, we never actually see that in the action so far. We might get it Picard season two or three, but <laughs> as of right now, we don't have it. But I, I do, I do love this version of, of Picard. Oddly enough, we're like almost more than halfway through. We haven't talked about Tasha Yar. And this is like the big episode where, you know, she comes back. Uh, after writing off Denise Crosby. So, I mean, what were your thoughts on just kind of Tasha Yar as as a whole in this particular episode, in this particular timeline? Do you think that the Yar-Shooter-McGavin romance works? Is that enough of a reason to to kind of send her back? Um, just kind of give me your overall thoughts on Denise Crosby as well as Tasha Yar. I thought she did a wonderful job. Uh, Tasha Yar was a very fitting character in this timeline i thought because she was very dedicated security slash tactical officer and i thought the acting was was pretty good uh the romance was a little bit i I didn't really feel like it was like super contrived or or shoehorned in the one part of it that i loved was when they're in the transporter room and they're like making out and these those two guys were just like standing there (laughs) i thought that was pretty funny like just uh oh, who cares if those two these two guys are here like let's let's just go at let's it let's just do it man like <laughs> that guy's probably going to his death so why not right exactly i definitely think that uh yeah she was on point in this episode she was really good i mean did it make you kind of miss her like do you almost wonder if this like did it kind of make you think oh shoot maybe they should have kept that character long term um you know was there uh, was there something more to that that we should have had? Like, should they have done the the Guardian of Forever and, and brought her back? Or is it just kind of like too little too late? Well, it almost makes you wonder, like, what would, what would she have been like if she'd stuck around? And I mean, I know this is an alternate timeline and everyone's supposed to be a little bit different. But uh, I don't know. It does kind of make you wonder, like, would, would it have been a good idea to keep her around? Maybe. Certainly wasn't. Certainly didn't take away from the episode. It was. It was well done. Yeah, I, I think that she's really good here. And the one thing that I have to say, which I I, I almost feel bad doing, and I, I don't know that I necessarily should rag on it, but remember when Voyager tried to bring back Kess in that episode of Fury that we reviewed back on the fourth episode of this season? Ish. Like this is how you bring a character back and make a uh, make an episode that really like makes you feel like oh damn we shouldn't have got rid of this person like uh i think that this episode makes that fury episode just look horrible in comparison just with regards to bringing back an old character that had been written off it's obviously had been 
what, two seasons, I guess, that we hadn't had any Tash ER. Uh, same, I think, with Kess, actually, because it was season four and season six. But um, this one just felt so much more impactful and just so much bigger. But I guess it's just a better episode as well. Well, the fact that it's like an all-time classic might kind of influence that a little bit. All right. And then uh, one of the other things that I, I, I did love about Tash ER, just kind of on that same note, is that, you know, there are so many TV shows and TV movies and regular movies where the character plays like this, whoa, 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 what? And they can't piece together that everybody's acting strange around them or that they are acting differently. Tashiar almost immediately recognizes that Guinan is acting strangely. And then after basically two or three interactions where some things are kind of mentioned or dropped. I think there's a scene even where like uh, Jordy says, yeah, you wouldn't even know if you were alive or dead in the other timeline. Mm. <laughs> and Yar kind of pieces together that like, obviously she doesn't have a good life or maybe no life at all in the other timeline. I just loved that. I thought that was such a great thing to do. You always see the person go, what? even though it was so obvious and so clear to everybody watching and everybody else. I thought that her like intuition, especially as somebody who's a security officer who should be able to kind of piece things together, she pretty much solves this straight away, which I thought was great. Yeah, it did uh, make her decision to go back with them make a lot of sense because otherwise it's like, it just would seem like kind of a random weird thing to do. Unless she was like madly in love with Shooter McGavin and just was, to but that would be kind of a silly reason to go back and to go to your death. Yeah, and, and I'm glad that it was sort of like pieced together, right? Because there's that original scene where Guinan is like looking at her funny and seems to be uneasy around her and that she was able to piece it together and it wasn't just like she just went to Guinan and was like, so what do you, what am I like in the other timeline since you don't seem to think things are right? Like it wasn't like totally out of left field. It was, there were like cues as the episode went forward. So I thought that was pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a strange one because I mean, typically the prime directive would protect her from ever finding that out. Because obviously information that she knows from another timeline obviously has a, has kind of a, uh, you know, like a troublesome thing. But I guess Guinan not being part of it, just being a civilian, it is like, she doesn't really care. <laughs> she just flat out tells her like, oh yeah, no, you died in the other one. I don't remember how or, or why, but I think that, uh, I think it is what it is, you know, like, or something to that effect. Um, I thought it was really good. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's there's good stuff all the way through. Right. And I mean, it is is kind of building towards our big climax. Right. So Picard Picard tells the Enterprise C captain that uh, the war is going badly. Do you think that she kind of made that decision slightly hastily? Like she doesn't have a meeting or anything either. He, he tells her that. And I mean, she doesn't really have any evidence to support that other than his word. And, and she almost immediately is like, yeah, OK, we're going back. I know that it's kind of a, a cut for time thing, but I definitely feel that she she quickly comes to that decision herself. Yeah, it was quick. Uh, I didn't really ever think about it until just now, but yeah, that's it was a pretty snap decision. You know, Picard's telling her that the war is going badly and that if they go back, they might be able to reverse everything. And she's like, Mr. Castillo. Inform the crew we're going back. Like it just like in that in that moment and because of that conversation, she made the choice. I mean, unless she'd already sort of made it 
prior to that in the back of her mind and that was just sort of the the the, the straw that broke the camel's back but yeah it was a pretty <laughs> it was a pretty snap decision now that you mention it <laughs> i mean i know that they didn't have a lot of time here and that there was talk of fact that you know, a lot of this stuff had to be put together in models and everything else. But um, the, the, the Klingons attacking or the Klingons en route essentially acting as the ticking clock, right? Like they don't have a lot of time to, to, to sit around, debate this, discuss this and to think about this because they mentioned that the Klingons, I believe, are nine hours away, which, man, don't you love when Star Trek actually kept like warp times in realistic amount uh, because it definitely puts the pressure on to to kind of make this decision and then when they do show up they kill the captain which is like i i remembered that happening but when it does happen it's like oh my goodness like now they've got no captain uh, i believe they also said that all the shooting and fighting is maybe like messing up the temporal riff and it might close or something yeah wow this has to be and we talk about this a lot on rtr just the idea of uh, the ticking clock, the building of tension. Sometimes they do it pointlessly or needlessly. Man, is that not the case here. This is just perfect. Like just dialing it up, dialing it up. And right when you feel like the dial can't go any further, it clicks over and goes to 11. I thought this was excellent. What a horrible way to die. <laughs> yeah. She gets like this giant piece of shrapnel like right in her forehead. That looked awful. Terrible way to go. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the, the fact that, you know, the Klingon, the, this one single like Klingon, I don't know, scout ship or whatever turns up, you know, attacks them and then, and then disappears before they can destroy it, which basically says like, okay, now the Klingons know that we're here. They're, they're coming for us. Yeah. I think they even mentioned there's more couple more coming, like the big, the big boy ones are coming later. And then there, there's also like the, you know, the, the, the Enterprise C was, you know, damaged a little bit. So they're like, okay, we got to repair the ship and get through the rift before it destabilizes and closes. And yeah, you're right. That's, that's the ticking clock, right? So they now have, now that the decision's made, there's, you know, there's a few hurdles to jump over and then they got to go. And yeah, it definitely sort of gives a bit of urgency to the whole thing. And then, yeah, as they come back from the final commercial break, lo and behold, the Klingons are coming. It's go time. This is not going to go down in the history books as uh, the greatest Star Trek fight scene ever. But man, is it ever satisfying. Like, I just love these old style capital ship battles which are basically just shoot 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 i love the idea that the enterprise d really just has to essentially just hold them off long enough for the enterprise c to go through the rift because that should theoretically reset the timeline and fix everything um they they start kind of i guess the the klingons are at one point are trying to kind of get the two separated right? Like, which should be a, a typical battle move, right? And the Enterprise has to kind of to kind of fight to do that. Like, Picard's jumping over the little railing and stuff. Oh, it's just so <laughs> good. I mean, I don't know that this could be done any better. And I think that a million photon torpedoes and a million phaser blasts wouldn't have made this any more exciting. I think that really it's all about that tension. There's a couple things here that I really thought were cool. So number one, Picard is like there's a couple of instances where he like calls out like course corrections i thought that was very neat and i'm so it's something that i feel like if you're fighting in space like that you're probably having to do constantly 
and and we see it you know there's a couple of times where and there's even one time where he's like punching in on his little, little on the arm of his, his chair and it like it like beeps at him and he's like wait a minute correction you know <laughs> i thought yeah. that was like super i thought that was great it was very nice little sort of detail that they throw in because i mean you don't normally see that or hear that when they're they're in a space battle but I feel like in sort of a more militaristic thing, like the captain would want to have like a little bit more control over the course corrections and all that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, have you played any of the Star Trek video games like uh, Star Trek Legacy or even like Star Trek Online or anything? Uh, no. So, I mean, I've played some of those and uh, and really like as the captain, which you, you're kind of doing everything. But I mean, one of the things just with the course corrections is like you basically have shields that go all the way around the the ship right so like if your forward shields start getting like hammered you can sometimes like dip down so that like your back is showing where the shields are stronger and stuff so like i do think there is like a strategical aspect of that that's kind of what i was seeing here and i thought that that was actually really well done and i I love the military aspect of star trek anyway so then to see it uh in a situation here where it's like wartime big battle at the end man it was just just perfect, I thought. Now, so the second thing, uh, just before Picard jumps over the rail, the, there's like a cl- a voice from the Klingon ship that says, you know, surrender and prepare to be boarded. Number one, how chilling would that have been if it was Worf's voice? Yeah, I was reading some kind of like fan stuff online saying that it, you know, was it or wasn't. I don't think that it was. I, it, did, it didn't sound enough like him. But... No, it wasn't that like very deep Michael Dorn Wharf voice. But that would have been a great little speaking of Easter eggs, my goodness, that would be that would be all time, really, in terms of in, in terms of, of a nice little Easter egg. And that would definitely be chilling, speaking of, you know, giving yourself chills watching Star Trek. Now I read somewhere, I don't know if it's true or not, but I read that in the script it was it was the line was said Klingon captain and then in brackets it said possibly wharf. Oh, okay. The, now I don't know if that's true or not, but I I read that on I, I read that that was in the script that it was that it could have been Worf, but they chose not to. That's I mean I guess they don't really maybe want to show him as the villain or what have you, but I do think that it uh, yeah I, I I feel like that that would have been really cool, especially now you know after after knowing that Worf ends up being a good guy, but I I definitely think that. Uh, that would be cool, especially since Picard has that awesome line, that will be the day. And then he oh, like yeah, jumps was... over the back and starts like... Oh, it's just, yeah, that's a great part. Yeah. Now, I think that, is that, I guess, is it Riker that gets, does Riker get killed? Yes, he does. And that's why he has to kind of jump over the back, I guess. Yeah, Riker there, was yeah. like running, because Yar was gone, Riker was like running the weapons. And then, yeah, there was like, he got killed after the, it's like an explosion and he got... He got, like, same thing. I think he got, like, shrapnel, like, stuck in his neck or something. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I feel like I read that they originally were going to have more people get killed, but yes. with time and budget, they were just like, yeah, we're just not going to have enough uh, time to do it. So, yeah, I, I, I love this ending. I just love, like, the manic Picard, like, as the bridge is, like, on fire and everyone's dead, he's still, like, blasting away. And then, I mean, uh, the Enterprise... C slips through the rift. Well, and the Enterprise D was like getting just absolutely pummeled. Mm-hmm. More so than we've seen in a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, like after Picard jumped the rail, it cuts to the the Enterprise just getting blasted. 
by the the two Klingon ships that were left, and then the last thing you kind of see is the Enterprise C going through, and it almost makes you wonder, like, did they blow up the Enterprise D just before? Because like it was, they were in rough shape. Yeah, I don't know that we actually we see it engulfed in flames, but we never see it actually explode. I guess that would be like another virtual effect that they'd have to do, and I guess the idea here too is that they were like just at the point where they were going to explode. They go through the rift, and magically it works, and we're back. The lights are now up, and everything's back where he was beforehand, and, you know, send in the probe, off we go. I do love, you know, we get that little, like, I guess Guinan still was, she still has kind of a memory of it because of her species, and it ends just kind of with that nice, Jordy, tell me about Tashiar, and then that's that's kind of where the episode ends, and it's an all-time, all-time classic, and top to bottom i don't know that it could be much better than it already is one cool small thing that they did that i liked so when they first the klingons first approach Riker mentions that the enterprise gave them quite a pasting at archer four yes and then right at the very very end after things return to normal picard says that it says mr crusher laying under course for archer four i thought that was a very nice little thing that they threw in there now do you think that that's jonathan archer named after the uh, original enterprise captain it very well could be yeah it could very well be that would be even a nicer little tie-in as we typically do let's talk about the guest stars and the cast and the characters here i mean usually we're talking about alien number three and mystery guy number five this time we can really delve into real all-stars here they they went out of their way they brought back denise crosby she looked great she acted great she, she was absolutely awesome why don't you tell me about your thoughts on tasha what we got of her this little transition and then we didn't talk about it yet but this is also kind of the thing that starts the whole sila arc as well which i think is about five or six episodes if i remember correctly so i mean do you think that that was do you think that this performance was the reason why the uh the producers and the people on the show were like you know what let's get her back playing a different character albeit it's certainly possible that her performance in this episode was part of the reason why they thought maybe they need to come up with this not i don't want to say zany but uh you know elaborate reason to bring the actor back and put her in a different different role but uh related to the to the original one so it's it's very possible i thought i thought she was very good in this episode yeah i mean i i'm kind of one of those people that thought that tashi yar never really did anything too crazy exciting in in the the episodes that she was but then when they brought her back, she almost was at like a, a next level. And because she was one of the few main characters to be cut and, and to, to leave the show, when they did bring her back, it always kind of felt special. Even the Sela episodes, I felt like were always special. And so like from that respect, I am really glad that we got her and that she was as good as she is. It's almost a shame we didn't get a little bit more, especially since I think Denise Crosby really did feel like she screwed up. Everybody has gone over it a million times, but the, the original series season of The Next Generation didn't seem like a super fun place to work. Talks of uh, Patrick Stewart really being a jerk and, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, Gene Rodbury still hanging around and stuff. So many years later, Denise Crosby is at all the conventions. She is absolutely lovely. She is 
somebody who really has embraced, you know, the whole Star Trek thing. She doesn't seem like she has sour grapes or anything. She seems to really have embraced that character and that role. And, and so, I mean, from that standpoint, it really does make me feel like uh, I wish that we had gotten a little bit more of her or if she had just stuck it out. I feel like if she had stuck it out for another year. It's kind of like the fans. If she had stuck it out for another year through the second season, by the time you get to the third season, it seemed like it was a lot more fun. I digress. Uh, the next up is Richard Castillo, which I think I affectionately was calling him Shooter in all my notes because of uh, Happy Gilmore. He looked very young here, and I am almost upset that we didn't get a little bit more or maybe even another episode because I feel like uh, I feel like this guy can kind of do no wrong. I, I always love when he pops up in different shows and TVs and stuff. Did you notice that he was like missing his combat for three quarters of the episode? I did not. No, I didn't. Really until he takes over as like the, the captain, he didn't have his combat until that point. Oh, do you think that he just like lost it in the fight or something? Maybe while well, he was like crawling around, you know, because at first he was like buried under all that rubble. Maybe it just like fell off and he just never got another one until until he became the captain. I, I, I really liked him here. I feel like he's one of those actors that just shows up in like so many little things. And, and it's always kind of a uh, an appreciative type of thing when he does. Uh, I also just thought that he was really good in this episode. I think that the only spot I would say is maybe a little cheesy is the Tasha Yar romance that they had to kind of do quickly. Uh, especially that scene where he's like, only my mother calls me Richard. And she's like, okay, Castillo. He's like, you can call me Richard. And I was like, oh, okay, we get it. You're laying it on real thick here. Nonetheless, I thought that he was really good. And uh, it was a it was a nice kind of transition for him. Because he's only a lieutenant too, right? So for him to kind of take on the role of captain to, to lead everybody back to certain doom was uh, was honorable in and of itself as well. So that was uh, a really great character and one that really just adds to the episode, right? Well, that's, I really like that scene where he goes to Picard and Riker and he says, I'm prepared to take them to lead them back. Because he, he seemed to, like he seemed like he felt he was doing the right thing, but he didn't have like the full confidence to like go to them and say I am doing this because he seemed almost a little hesitant you know and Riker even like challenged him at one point said you have no chance what are you doing and he said he said something like oh I have good people willing to do their best you know it's like he he didn't have like the full sort of conviction and confidence and maybe experience to do that and I thought that it came through in the the way that he acted that scene very well yeah, I, I definitely, I thought that it was a nice little thing that they didn't need to do, right? Because they could have just easily left the captain alive and then just had sent it, sent her back. But just adding that another layer of, of dread uh, really, I think, kind of took it to the next level, which brings us to Captain Garrett. Uh, I thought that it was a cool idea to have a woman be the captain of the Enterprise because, of course, we had only really seen the original series captains and then jumping up into Picard. So what were your thoughts on Captain Garrett? And, uh, you know, what about a spin-off series, the adventures of Captain Garrett on the Enterprise C? Would you be uh, up for something like that? Or is this just best left here? I mean, I wouldn't object to a spin-off, but I don't really, I'm not, it's not like I'm staying up late at night wondering why they haven't done it yet. But uh, I, I like Captain Garrett. I also like that, that she was a, a woman captain. Yeah, I thought that she really played that sort of strong-headed captain pretty well. 
you know, she was very determined, very, uh, very determined to, to do what's best for her crew and for her ship. I feel like she's probably, well, I mean, her as well as the Enterprise C is the most untapped piece of Star Trek that, that, that probably kind of exists. Is this just lucky? Because one of the things I was thinking about, like, how genius was it that they made Star Trek The Next Generation the Star Trek USS Enterprise D, right? Like, I don't know where exactly the Enterprise B fit in in terms of, like, when that movie came out versus when the TV show came out. But how genius was it that they at least left the window open or they left the ability to potentially do an episode like this. It almost just seems like serendipitous in my mind. Well, I think it's definitely serendipitous. I don't know if they really sat down and said, well, gee, what if we bring the previous Enterprise into the show, right? Like, I think they just sort of looked at it and said, okay, it's roughly 100 years later. There's probably been two or three other Enterprises, so we'll just call it D. So I think it was just pure luck that they sort of left that window open. Yeah, and then as I'm just kind of sitting here, I'm realizing that the Enterprise B was also in the, that was in Generations, right? So that was like, I guess it's almost like they went back to the well in a way, you think? Like, do you think that this was one of those things where they saw this and they were like, oh, that was such a good idea. Let's do a similar type thing, but we'll do it with the Enterprise B. I don't know. I guess that could be potentially for another another day's conversation but i just thought that was such a brilliant move and it really kind of allowed this to happen and then i guess just transitioning to the last character which is special guest star whoopi goldberg as guinan i guess guinan's species has some sort of telekinetic spiritual some sort of power where, where she I guess maybe knows the the true timeline versus a different timeline or even just that it's different. She's not in a whole lot of Next Generation episodes, but we always are lucky enough that uh, we tend to uh, we tend to get episodes with her in it. Which well, as usual, she's you know she does she plays a fairly significant part in the episode, but I, I thought it was played well, and I have no no problems with Guinan in this episode at all. I thought it was all very good. It's so hard with her because she's so good in so many of the episodes, but I mean, would this be up there in her kind of like top five performances, top three? Like, where would you put it? Oh, uh, definitely top five. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I'd have to kind of sit down and, and really kind of mull it over. But that being said, I uh, I have to say this is, this is one of my favorites. Well, and, in, and not only that, she plays an integral part in the episode. Now, I, that's not always true for Guinan. She might play an entertaining part of the episode, but it might not be integral to the story where as, as much as it is here. I feel like uh, we should probably transition over to some production notes. Uh, Ronald D. Moore was one of the, the people who really championed the idea of bringing back Denise Crosby so that they could kill her off right, as he said. Uh, I think that we can all agree Skin of Evil, eh kind of a bit of a waste. Uh, So they wanted to bring her back and die with purpose, which is kind of true to what the character says in the episode as well. We talked about the big battle and how they kind of had to cut it down for for saving money, but I don't know that it affected it much. Uh, An interesting little tidbit is that this is actually the last episode where all of the nine original cast members appear. So that would include all of the main uh, seven plus Wesley Crusher and Tasha Yard. Wesley obviously kind of comes and goes. 
and Yar uh, is comes back as Sila, but they never appear in the same episode again, other than this one. Did you know that ahead of time, or would you could you have guessed it? I might have been able to guess it, but I don't. I wasn't really conscious of that. What two cool things about the battle though that we didn't just to backtrack slightly here. Uh, Wesley Crusher was supposed to be decapitated, and Data was supposed to be like brutally electrocuted. Oh my god! It, I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. I feel yeah. like. <laughs> I think they also. I think they cut those two things out though, just because it would have been pretty. Pretty gruesome. grim, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, just in case you want to like sort of imagine other parts of how that battle went, just try to imagine Wesley Crusher being decapitated somehow, and and Data just getting violently electrocuted yeah it seems like it maybe is a bit much but i i mean like i said this episode's near perfect so i don't think that it's needed i i may it might even be one of those things where if they added something like that in, it would be kind of a, a knock against it so i'm glad that they kind of left it out i would agree that it wasn't necessary it, it certainly wouldn't have uh made the episode any better it would be kind of gratuitous you know but anyway, uh, this also leads to the Sela character. Uh, we I know we kind of already talked about it, but what are your thoughts just with the fact that they brought her back and that whole Romulan arc? I, I do feel like that's another legendary episode, is it not? Well, I think the the sort of thought of like, yeah, let's bring her back as Tasha Yar's daughter, the, the, the alternate timeline one. I thought that was very brilliant and smart. And I like the way that, I don't know if you remember this, but there's one episode where she appears totally in the shadows and you don't see her face. I thought that bringing her back in that way with that sort of cloak of mystery was all, was really cool. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was really cool. And I don't think they put her name in the credits either. So like you might recognize the voice, but you don't see who it is. I, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, me too. Um, and like I said, anytime they brought her back in those episodes, which were Mind's Eye, Redemption, uh, Redemption Part 2, and Unification, I, I always thought that it was was really, really good. Uh, I, it's one of these things, these these episodes, man, I feel like the really, really good ones and the really, really bad ones are, are the ones we have the most to talk about. So I, I don't want to kind of go on and on and on, but like, man, it's just such a good episode. Um, a couple last things here. Uh, this is the an episode where Guinan is on the bridge, which I think either never happens or it's super, super rare. And there was a slight mistake. Uh, the very last scene where uh, Guinan is talking to LaForge, uh, LaForge is wearing the other alternative universe uniforms, which uh, was an oopsie, but... It's kind of dark lit in 10 forward, so I guess it is what it is. I did love how in the alternate timeline, 10 forward was more of like a canteen style, like almost Voyager-esque, and they were all on like food rations and stuff. I thought that that was a nice touch as well, which we never mentioned. Yeah, and there's like that giant bulkhead behind the bar that just says like USS Enterprise. Like there's no adornments or anything. It's very utilitarian. I Yeah, I agree. I thought that... And I also like thought the bright lighting was really sort of changed the the feel of it. Yeah, I, I agree. The the details of this episode is really what uh, what kind of makes it go next level. I, I'm going to give you the uh, the option here to give me your memorable favorite scene and your favorite quote. I know that you're probably going to take mine. I'm going to give you uh, first dibs. There's a lot of really good. 
lines here. And so uh, hit me with it. What is your favorite scene and what is your favorite quote from the episode? You know, the one that always sticks out to me is just that first scene on the bridge. That's the one that always jumps out at me because you can tell immediately that everything has changed and things are very different. And just the way that the, the changes they made to the bridge just sort of give it to you right away that like, oh boy, this is different. I think the first thing that Picard says as soon after it changes is uh, he like sort of turns around and he's like, what are your sensor readings? Is that an enemy vessel? And that sort of gives you the idea that like, whoa, what enemy vessel? What's going on here? And, and you get that very ominous, very war time feel like immediately. Uh, I'm gonna go off the board here with my favorite line. I don't, oh, I really? Think, yeah, you. I I think you know what I think I'm gonna take, but I'm gonna th- completely turn things sideways here. Uh, well, Captain Picard and or when uh, Lieutenant Yar is telling Picard that she wants to go back on the Enterprise C, she's talking about how they they don't have a chance, and she says uh, it may be a matter of seconds or minutes, but those could be the minutes that change history. Oh. That's the one that sort of jumped out to me this time around. I really thought that was a great line. Given, given the circumstances and given the, the context, I thought it was really cool. I do like that you took a Tasha Yar line in an episode that's obviously um, devoted to uh, her. But I am going to take, on the flip side of that, attention all hands. As you know, we could outrun the Klingon vessels, but we must protect the Enterprise C until she enters the Temporal Rift. And we must succeed. Let's make sure history never forgets the name Enterprise. Of course, I can't do it as good as Patrick Stewart because I'm not a classically trained actor. But man, that is the line to end all lines. Was that the one that you were thinking that I was going to pick? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, in five years ago, that's exactly the line I would have taken. It is an all-time, but it's an all-time great. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I do love to that it's kind of like a double meaning, right? Because it's like there's the two Enterprises as well. So it's kind of like, you know, the history of Enterprise as well. Anyway, uh, my favorite scene, I think, probably is that big battle at the end where Picard is jumping over uh, the little railing as well. Normally, I don't love taking like the action scene stuff, but this is such a good job of kind of building everything up. And Picard is just so badass. That'll be the day. Uh, It's just awesome so uh, yeah that's probably going to be my my favorite scene and that's it so we're done yesterday's enterprise is uh, yesterday's news and uh, the only thing left really to do is matt give me your final thoughts and a rating out of five enterprises uh what are your final thoughts well i'm gonna keep it simple i mean we've been talking about this for for quite some time i mean this is it hasn't sort of come up over the course of the podcast but i would be very confident in saying this is the episode I've seen the most out of all of them. And there's a good reason for that. It's a great, wonderful episode. It's a great piece of science fiction, like as sort of a standalone story. And I just love it. I, I can't get enough of it. I could probably watch this another 25 times and I would enjoy every minute of it. I don't think there's any question that this will be a uh, Enterprise D for me. Five out of five. And... This probably would, if I were to sit down and write down a top 10 list of all my episodes of any series, like this one makes it easily, probably even in the top five. So yeah, this is just, this is one of the greats and uh, I'm not going to say much more about it. This episode is so good. I'm going to give it an Enterprise F 
from uh, that super future Daniels timeline that uh, Archer went and saw. It's a total five out of five, all-time platinum-level episode. It is so good on every level. The actors, the characters, the lines, the action. Uh, there's not really a single thing. Like, sometimes you get a great episode, but there's, like, that one dumb scene or the, the B-plot is, is stupid or something. This is just top-to-bottom greatness. I, again, I don't even need to go into it. It's five out of five all the way. It just, the timing, the pacing, everything, it's just perfect in every sense of the word. The only thing I would say that's kind of bad about it is that it's not accessible to everybody. You know, you couldn't really sit down with somebody who's not a fan and have them appreciate it, whereas other Star Trek episodes you probably can. But other than that, this is a fan's episode and it is done to perfection all right matt that is the red alert siren but of course it's also the end of season three. Oh my goodness where does the time go especially when you're locked in your house through most of it uh watching star trek uh, aimlessly until your eyes kind of crust over that's it. Season three is, is done and dusted for RTR, uh, and we're off to the big movie bonanza. What do you have to say about that? Well, I guess time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, do you have any hopes or dreams or wishes? Uh, we have done this twice before. Do you have a, uh, a particular one that you're hoping I'm going to draw here? I'm hoping you draw a good one. <laughs> Me too. I, uh, as you are aware, or maybe not aware, but for the movies, Matt and I do not uh, test ourselves. We kind of take a little breather here in the summer where we just kind of sit back with our popcorn, we relax, watch a film. We'll take a couple of different episodes to, to kind of get through it. Uh, and then we'll, of course, have our big end of the year birthday bonanza. But um, this is always a little bit of a respite for us as we uh, have been in fierce competition for like the last 12 months. So, uh, I mean, without any further ado, let me uh, dive deeply here into the Guinan hat of episodes. I've got this giant hat here, and there's only so many movies. So let me dig around, dig around, dig around. Uh, let's see. The anticipation is killing me. And you at home, no doubt. All right, let's see. We are going to be watching Star Trek Three. The Search for Spock. All right, Matt. Now, this is an interesting one because, I mean, Jerry will tell you that uh, Wrath of Khan is the better picture, but, or whatever that line is. <laughs> but uh, The Search for Spock is the better picture. I can't remember which what it was. What was that line from Seinfeld? Oh, I think Kramer was going Kramer on. Kramer was it. saying that... Uh, he thought he thought Star Trek 3 was better. Star, Jerry thought Star Trek 2 was better. Yeah, I feel like most people will probably say that Star Trek uh, Wrath of Khan is the most famous Star Trek movie, but Star Trek Search for Spock is an interesting one. I almost wonder if over time, over the years, it maybe is one of those movies when we look at it now where we're going to kind of see it not in comparison to Rathacon, but kind of on its own merits. And I don't know that it follows that. Uh, you know, Have you ever heard the odd versus the even Star Trek movies thing where like the odd ones are not as good as the even ones? I feel like this might be one that kind of breaks the rule. I, I, I have high hopes for Search for Spock, and, and I'm, I'm actually really excited to dig into it. So we're going to be back with the original series, guys. We're going to be... Kicking off the Genesis planet, searching for 
fuck. One of the coolest names, one of the coolest posters for a movie ever. And uh, one of the sequels to, like, the biggest Star Trek movie of all time. So uh, you guys will uh, definitely want to check back in a couple of weeks' time when we go searching for Spock. Um, and then in four weeks' time when we look at the second half. And then in six weeks' time, I know that's kind of wishing the summer away, but that is going to be our big birthday bonanza uh, where we will get back into competition mode and Matt and I are going to put ourselves to the ultimate challenge. So make sure that you're here for that as well. That's it. That's it for yesterday's Enterprise. What a great way to end the season. Good game, Matt, of course, through the throughout the season. If you want to find out the final results between Matt and I, you'll definitely want to check out that birthday bonanza as well. So that's it. Bye-bye, everybody. Off to the Genesis planet. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Fluffernutter, an Expeditionary Force podcast. One of the best parts of the book is when Joe introduces Skippy once they hit orbit. <laughs> <laughs> he changes his skin to, was it, Bud Light, and <laughs> says absolutely nothing. <laughs> that, that, was, that was hysterical. That was absolutely hysterical. And why, and why did he choose Bud Light? Oh, Joe asked this question. It's just like, how does he know so much about Earth culture? Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene, thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, (laughs) which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, Mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like... About, I don't know, I think it's like 62 abs. He just looked ripped. And then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this. Yeah. A little bit of that. I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.